Hi friends, this is Will Dyer, the pastor here at the First Baptist Church of Augusta. Welcome to our podcast. I hope the message that you are about to hear will give you some joy in your day. But more than that, I hope that this message will connect you to Jesus. The mission of our church is to connect people to Jesus Christ in a community of faith. And it is my greatest hope that the message you are about to hear will better connect you with Jesus and His way in the world. Mr. Grinch, you really are a heel. You're as cuddly as a cactus, you're as charming as an eel, Mr. Grinch. You're a bad banana with a greasy black peel. He's a vile one, Mr. Grinch. I mean, he really is a heel. Between choosing either the Grinch or a seasick crocodile, well, I would choose the seasick crocodile. We all know and love Dr. Seuss's The Grinch That Stole Christmas. It first appeared in our lives in the year 1957 through his book, which is now a classic. Then later it was made into a classic Christmas cartoon. The year was 1966. And the song that debuted was the one that you just heard. You're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. Okay, I'll stop. But I love that Christmas song, and you no doubt have heard it fill the airways every year about this time. This movie was also reprised by Hollywood. First in 2000, Ron Howard made How the Grinch Stole Christmas with Jim Carrey starring as the green villain. And then most recently, in 2018, Universal made the feature-length animation with Benedict Cumberbatch being the voice for our green friend here. Well, I don't want to start a family squabble, but I do want to ask, which version is your favorite? For me, I'm a traditionalist, and I love the original cartoon more than anything else. In fact, I make it a point to watch it every single year. But no matter which one you like the most, rest assured, the plot is essentially the same in all of them. There's this Grinch, and he hates Christmas. Every year he dreads waking up on Christmas morning and hearing the Who's of Whoville sing in jubilation as they open gifts and as they gather around their Christmas tree. So a most devious plot arises the Grinch plans on trying to steal Christmas, believing that if he can take away every Christmas tree, every Christmas gift, every Christmas food, the Who's will wake up on Sunday morning and will have nothing to celebrate, and Christmas will not happen. He sets his plan in motion, going to Whoville on Christmas Eve and robbing the town blind. Even Cindy Lou Who, who finds him in her own home, comes down and confronts him, and the Grinch pretends that he is Santa Claus. Really, guys? <laughs> well, 
he makes his way back to his lair, awaiting with expectation to hear absolutely nothing on Christmas morning. And we're left wondering, will the Grinch's plan succeed? Well, you no doubt know the ending to that story, but it does bring about a larger question. Imagine for a moment that this was not just an entertaining tale of fiction. Imagine if this was a real story and the Grinch was robbing you. Would your Christmas joy and celebration be taken away? Would you wake up on Christmas morning brokenhearted without a song to sing? Well, welcome to 2020. And we look around and we assess and we don't ask, will the Grinch steal Christmas? But maybe we even profess he already has. Let's look about our world and nation for a moment, shall we? For the first time since their opening, Macy's in its 159-year history will not have Santa Claus coming to town to greet all the boys and girls at its flagship department store in New York City. That's a little less important. Other differences of this Christmas year include that many office parties are no longer going to be held this Christmas season. Instead, they're going to go for virtual gatherings, which I guess is okay considering that no one would have to give other people a ride home. But then we have the far more serious, our family gatherings, some of which are being canceled or significantly changed because it's just too risky to travel and to gather. And then we have this stat, that as CDC moratoriums that stopped evictions from happening earlier during the pandemic will expire at the end of 2020, leaving some of our most vulnerable people in dire need. It even went as far as to say that at the end of this year, directly after Christmas, 6.7 million people could be evicted from their homes. These are families and they're people that live even here in our city of Augusta. And I can guarantee you at this moment, they're not worrying about whether or not they get everything on their Christmas wish list. They're just hoping to have a roof and a bed over their heads. These situations uh, make us feel weary and, and tired. I mean, another fair word to use is sad. In Psalm chapter 80, verse 5, the psalmist says that they are so sad that they are being fed by the bread of their own tears and that they're drinking their tears by the bowlful. I think that in some way describes us in the here and now. And yet, today, this Sunday, is the first Sunday of Advent. And we're called to celebrate hope, no less. I know that this is a challenge, but it's also an invitation. An invitation to journey these next four Sundays through an amazing series which our pastor will lead us in, entitled, A Weary World Rejoices. I feel like this series title is so apropos given the world which we're living. And I think that this series also contains two vital truths. Uh, the first one is, is that if you try to say that series title fast, you're probably going to get tongue-tied. If you don't believe me, just turn to your neighbor and say the series title five times in a row. It'll happen. I've tried it. The second and more important one is that 
This sermon series, I believe, has the power to change lives. Your life and the lives of those around you. So, church, I'm asking you to be good Christians this year and invite friends and family and neighbors and complete strangers to journey with us through the series in these next weeks ahead by asking them to come to church with you or by asking them to tune in online, just like you're doing right here and right now. If you are to take the sermon series, A Weary World Rejoices, and put it in a Google search, undoubtedly the following will appear in your search results. Oh, Holy Night. Oh, Holy Night is a song title to a classic Christmas carol that's been sung, well, at least ever since I can remember. It's interesting how the song couches the series title in its lyrics. Uh, listen as I sing. I'm kidding, I, I won't sing to you. We need to leave that to the experts. Uh, Ryan Heritage, where are you at? All right, he's nowhere to be found, so how about I just read it to you instead? The song lyrics go like this. A thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. It's interesting how it puts these emotions of complete exasperation and exhaustion right together with hope. It's almost as if the song is suggesting that we need to be at the point of giving up to experience true hope. And I might go one step further. I think we do need to give up on a few things, things that masquerade as hope but really aren't. And if we give up on these things, then we can truly embrace hope as it was meant to be of all times this year at Christmas. As we now look at some things that we can give up this Christmas, uh, you're going to hear me pick at a few things that you're going to say, hey, David, I actually think that that's kind of good. Well, don't get too beat up about it. Don't worry, I haven't gone from preaching to meddling. But what I am suggesting is, is that if we give up some good things, we can follow the logic that was set in place by Jim C. Collins in his amazing book, From Good to Great, and see that the enemy of great is good. And by giving up the good, we can experience the great. So, as the series sermon, excuse me, as the, the sermon title implies, give up and hope. I think that even though that series and that sermon title can seem a little bit contrary, I think that Scripture will help us understand further what we need to do. So, without further ado, grab your Bibles, if you will, and open it up to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we're going to be reading today verses 3 through 9. Paul writes, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, 
who has called you into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul, uh, writing to this problematic church in Corinth, is really gushing over them at this moment, which is hard to believe if you read on a few chapters later and see that he is very upset with them. This Thanksgiving section is one in which Paul is admittedly saying, look guys, we know that there are more than a few problems and we'll get there. But first and foremost, I want you to be refreshed and renewed in knowing the promises that God has spoken over you, his people. Specifically, he does that in verse 7. And I believe that verse 7 is what really brings the Advent theme out in the Scripture. For if you noticed while I read, there was never the word Christmas or hope or Bethlehem or Joseph and Mary. There wasn't any of that. So let's go specifically to verse 7 and see what it says. Paul wrote, Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. Why is that Advent? Well, let's think about Advent in its original Latin word, Adventus, which means arrival. So in the Advent season, not only are we celebrating the fact that Jesus came to earth 2,000 years ago, we're also looking forward to the future arrival when he comes again as ruler and king over both heaven and earth. Secondly, we can look at a very specific word that has hope intrinsically tied to its words. Those words are spiritual gift. Well, in fact, in the Greek, it's actually one word, charisma. And charisma means a grace gift that we received when we professed Jesus as Savior and received the Holy Spirit. It's the ability that God blesses us with to do any and all things that he asks for his church or for his name. It's a gift that is like the talent that Jesus described in the parable in the New Testament. It's something that even in an entire lifetime, we can't fully unwrap or explore enough. It would take us all of an eternity to truly understand the grandeur of this gift. But not only, this is a gift that nobody can take away, not even a Grinch. So buzz off, guys. <laughs> this is a gift that is ours forevermore. And within that statement is the great hope. For we can enjoy and discover this gift until Jesus comes again, whenever that might be. It's also a challenge to us to give up on those things that we no longer need, because if within this gift we truly have everything, as Eugene Peterson says in the message, just think you don't need a thing, you've got it all, then we can honestly say, well, then what are the things that we don't need so much right now? What are the things that are weighing down hope and confusing us and making us believe in lesser versions? Well, I believe there are a few, and I want to take this remaining time we have to explore those things with us, the things that we can give up. The first thing that we can give up is that we can give up on limiting hope. Yes, we can give up on limiting hope. Hope is, by definition, 
something that we look forward to. It's an anticipation, but it's not only anticipation. Uh, so many times, if we just leave it as anticipation, we can get fixated upon the fact that Jesus will come again, but that's all there is to the story. And that's not quite true. It's like it's a two-sided coin. Yes, Jesus will come again, but then as Paul tells us, there's this charisma that we are supposed to use in the here and now. Our spiritual gift that needs to be applied to the world in which we live. It, it's, it's a fool's errand to say, we'll just let Jesus fix it when he comes. No, our charisma, our spiritual gift is something that we must enjoy and delight in and use to the glory of God here and now. Uh, maybe some of you would even journey with me to Mark uh, chapter 13. I think it's verses 34 through 37. Uh, Jesus is asked specifically, when will he be coming again at the second coming? And his answer is, I don't know. That's only something that the Father knows. So it's no good for you guys to keep asking me. But more to the point, I oftentimes think that even if Jesus did know, he wouldn't have told them. Do you know why? I think it's because it would have given us, humanity, an excuse. We're always taking the path of least resistance. So yeah, we can look around and say, there are orphans without parents. There are hungry people to be fed. There are poor people that need services and need to be attended to. But don't worry, Jesus is coming and he'll make it all right. <laughs> no, Jesus doesn't want us to know that information because he wants us to be the fulfillment of hope. This is what's oftentimes called participatory hope. It's the other side of that coin that I was talking to you about. We've got the anticipatory hope, that's that Jesus will come again, but then there's the participatory hope. It brings about the questions of, what can I do now for others with what I have? What can I do now for others with what I have. It's like my dear friend and mentor, Dr. Jim Pitts, who's a former chaplain and religion professor at Furman University said, when he read this, hope is a picture of the future which sets in motion the power of the present. That's the power of anticipatory and participatory hope. Yes, Jesus is coming again, but given that, Let's live and act and speak as if he's already here and we are in the new heaven and the new earth. And that, my friends, is something that blows the doors off of our limitations that we put on hope. So yes, give up on limitations and hope. The next thing I think we're challenged to do during this Advent season is to give up on confusing hope. Give up on confusing hope. So many times we confuse optimism for hope. Optimism isn't a bad thing. I'd rather be with an optimistic person all day long than a negative Nancy or a pessimistic Pete, but optimism isn't hope because optimism ultimately is wishful thinking. And just because we wish for something doesn't make it so. 
Optimism also carries with it a little bit of a danger. For optimism is reliant upon specific outcomes for it to be fulfilled. Um, see if you've used one of these following sentences, as I have in the past. I wish they would change. I wish this would end. I wish we would win. Those aren't necessarily bad, but when those specific outcomes don't come to fruition, it actually can lead to hopelessness and despair. No, hope is something that is not dependent upon specific outcomes. Hope is something that depends on us. Listen to what this amazing rabbi named Jonathan Sachs said in a recent sermon. He writes, optimism is the belief that things are going to get better. Hope is the belief that we can make things better. Optimism is a passive virtue. Hope is an active one. It takes no courage to be an optimist, but one does need the courage to hope. To what Rabbi Sachs add, said, I might add, optimism wants stuff for me so that I can feel better about myself. Hope wants the fulfillment of the promises of God through Christ Jesus to come to fruition so that the redemption of all the earth can occur. One of those is certain to happen, and one of those requires great courage to profess here and now. I'll leave you to figure it out, but spoiler alert, it is hope. The last thing that hope asks us to give up on so that we can hope is hope asks us to give up our notion of control. We all want things to happen in the following way. We see a need or have a need. We say a prayer and then we want a result. This is kind of a version of microwave theology where if we put the timer on one or two minutes, we expect a hot and delivered meal. But that's not how hope works. Hope comes to fruition in God's time, not our own. It's something that even when we're applying our charisma or our spiritual gift to the best of our ability, we might even see things stay the same or possibly even look like they're getting worse. This is what uh, Barbara Brown Taylor often associates to the dark feelings or the darkness that we encounter when we're applying hope to our world. It's easy to get down on ourselves and kick rocks when this happens, but that would be dismissing the value of being in the dark. For when the light of hope seems far from us, our other spiritual senses can come even more alive in the dark as we learn and grow. Barbara Brown Tabler says this, I have learned things in the dark that I could have never learned in the light, things that have saved my life over and over again, so that there is only one logical conclusion. I need darkness as much as I need light. If our hope is truly in Christ, church, then the timetable is not tomorrow, next week, next year, or this decade, or even this lifetime. Our timetable is eternity. And that might mean that we have to wait for a really long time. We might be in the dark for a while, 
but the promise is that we will explore and grow in our understanding of our charisma and our spiritual gift in ways that we would have never dreamt possible before. What it also means is that when Christ does come, the hope that we are longing for will be fulfilled in a way which we never dreamt possible. It will be so powerful and palpable that as Isaiah wrote, God did awesome things that we did not expect. He came down and the mountains trembled before him. That's what hope in God's time is like when it is fulfilled. It is life and world altering. In other words, it's worth the wait even when we have to wait a while. So, yeah, give up on control and hope. I hope in this time, we've learned a few things that we can give up in light of God's future coming through Christ Jesus, as well as the spiritual gift and charisma that he's given us in the present to explore and discover. Something that leaves us lacking nothing or not needing anything. I hope that you've been able to journey with me in giving up that need to limit hope or that need to confuse hope or that need to control hope. And instead, I've heard that you've directed or heard the directives and been inspired by those ploys and, and those desires for me to invite you into saying, participate in hope. Get off the bench and, and be involved. Use your words, use your heart, use your mind. Be a part of this thing called the church, which is happening all around us. I also hope that you've learned a few things about how we can oftentimes confuse optimism for hope and that you've become freed from just saying, you know, my hope isn't dependent upon any specific outcomes. My hope is that Christ will come and that all things will be made well. And lastly, I hope that you have given up on control. Control that says, I need things my way right away or by tomorrow or by next week or by next year. And just simply relax and say, God in his time will decide. If you've done that, if you've journeyed with me thus far, I want to be able to tell you this then you have gotten an understanding of hope which nobody or no one can ever take from you. Not a Grinch, that means you guys, but not a virus either. <laughs> not uh, a possible economic downturn that might be coming. Not a political transition which you might agree or disagree with. <laughs> not anything or anyone. Not height or depth, neither death nor life will ever be able to separate you from the hope that is in Christ Jesus. That, my friends, is powerful truth. That, my friends, is something that a weary world can rejoice in now and forevermore. So give up and hope and rejoice as we continue to celebrate Christ our King. Amen.